Okay, I've got a few questions here to lead off here. For a born-again Christian, what are the prerequisites for leading a Bible study? Now, I know you're going to look down there. It's one of my headings. But what's necessary to be in place? There's some things I didn't cover here necessarily. What's that? Prayer. Ah, that's right. That's high on my list. Prayer. Probably should pray about this. Uh, everything should be handled with prayer. Pray without ceasing, right? So certainly we should uh, pray about it. What else? Uh, what else do you need? What should be in place, do you suppose, as far as, uh, as, far as your life? Yeah, I think you probably should have a consistent walk, right? Where you're walking in in step with the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're trying to lead a Bible study and your life's way out of whack, probably going to be a little counterproductive as you go along and they start seeing major holes in your life. It's like, boy, this guy, I know he's teaching this, but he doesn't live it. Uh, We call that hypocrisy. So we want to be consistent. Uh, I think a prerequisite is living the life of integrity, for sure. Um, Anything else? We'll touch on this, but I think we probably need to do our due diligence as far as being prepared, <laughs> as far as coming to say, well, I'm here, I'm here to kind of teach, but I'm totally unprepared. I have no idea even what's going on here. Uh, now you want to do your due diligence. So uh, next question, um, how much do you need to know to lead a Bible study? Yeah, and I would say you probably need to know a little bit more than the people you're teaching, right? <laughs> in the in the in the what? In our we do. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that. Uh, but I, that's kind of a leading question where I want to go here. And the next question I want to ask you is: Do you have to know all the answers? Uh, who does know all the answers? Well, the Lord Himself knows all the answers. And, and I think, there, obviously, we're all learning. We're, you know, none of us have, have arrived yet in that sense. And I think it's good to say, uh, I don't know. You know we, we don't have to know all the answers. You know, people ask me questions, and I know the answer. And I've forgotten what I have studied on that. It's like, I need to get back to you. I'll have to go back and, and look at that again. And so we're all human here. And we're all learning. We're all getting further equipped as we go along. So it's okay to say, I don't know. You don't have to have all the answers. But in general, you know, as I say, you do your due diligence. Okay, well, how to lead a basic Bible study. Uh, There are many studies about various related Bible topics, but there is no substitute for the study of the Bible itself. And I really want to kind of underscore that because I think sometimes it's easy. People talk about doing Bible study, and there's nothing original about any of their study. Uh, it's kind of like eating leftovers all the time. I like leftovers, but not all the time, right? Uh, I really like sometimes, you know, we, this, is, this is not leftovers. <laughs> I'm not complaining, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's good to, uh, you know, go to the source itself instead of just reading somebody else's opinions all the time. Uh, that has its place for sure. Uh, the Bible, interestingly enough, does not specifically tell us how to study it. But it does indicate God's people are to be a word-filled people. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, You can't say, well, over here it tells you, here's how you do it. And, uh, you know, we do emphasize lots of things here in terms of, um, you know, our our emphasis, our methods. But um, uh, in the Bible, there are examples of private study, more formal corporate study, and informal small group study. In view in this lesson is the small group Bible study. 
And what I envision as I go through this with you, this is probably going to be the largest class I'll ever teach doing this. I envision a few people around my kitchen table, uh, and and uh, a lot of times I imagine maybe just one or two, or maybe a, maybe a little bigger. You know, I wouldn't uh, you know specify too much, but um, but. There is something about that that close knit where you can really talk heart to heart, one on one, and uh, work with people on a small uh, group basis here. Okay, uh, let's get into it. What does Colossians three sixteen indicate our relationship with the Word should be in the context of one another? Note this: in the context of one another. What should our relationship with the Word be in that context? Oh boy, we're off to a roaring start, aren't we? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. That's right. And out of that flows what? Yeah. Yeah. Teaching and admonishing one another. Yeah. So this is a body life feel where, you know, we are building into each other's lives. The word is filling us and then we're that's being used to admonish one another, to, to exhort and encourage one another. And it's always good. I love the one another emphasis there because no person is an island within themselves. You know, God designed the body that we need each other. I need you, you need me, um, and it's not a one-man show. We certainly don't want a, a Protestant pope. Uh, you know, we, we all have a part to play. And even in the ministry of the word, there's, there, there's a place where we admonish one another uh, as the word richly dwells in us. Okay, uh, prerequisites for leading a Bible study. Let's uh, talk a little more about this. Uh, number one, mature. Uh, what does Hebrews five twelve through fourteen indicate in terms of who is qualified to teach? Yes, right. And uh, he's saying by this time you should be teachers. Indicate, and it's a general statement as he's writing to these these Hebrew Christians. Uh, by this time you ought to be teachers. But but right, what were they doing? They, they were they were milk on needing milk, and and they weren't weren't doing solid food. So, uh, yeah, so when we think about solid food, um, what is, uh, how do you uh, know that a person is uh, able to eat the, the solid food of the word? What's the qualifier there in the text? Okay, well, that's true, but I'm looking by, it talks about they had their, their senses uh, exercised to discern, right? Through use. So as, as you spend time in the word, you grow in terms of how to discern and how to rightly divide the word of truth. And that involves a process. You know, he says, you have need that one teach you again. Uh, that assumes uh, there's a teaching process involved and somebody's going to teach you and take you from, a, from the basics of the word, uh, the milk, the first principles, uh, to the deeper things of the word, uh, the more solid food. Okay, uh, so uh, prerequisite, uh, need to be mature. You know, uh, you start out immature, uh, you need to be in the, somebody's teaching me, but then you, as you mature, you want to get to where now uh, I'm mature enough to where I can handle the word in such a way that I'm ready to now teach uh, someone else. 
Uh, consistent with uh, biblical roles, in a mixed context involving both men and women, uh, what does Paul say about teaching in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14? Yeah, he doesn't allow a woman to teach a man. And he gives a couple of uh, uh, reasons. He goes back to the creation account. Some people say, well, it's a matter of the fall, you know. Well, really, it was God's design, his created order even before the fall. And he goes back to the created order there. But uh, so we want to be sensitive to this. I think it's a big topic in today's world, which is, you know, all messed up on the the sexist period (laughs) to where people are so messed up, they think they can even decide what they want to be, a man or a woman. Uh, But anyway, uh, yeah, and and I think in the context of 1 Timothy here, we know he's talking in the context of a local church and a formal teaching role. Uh, It's not that women can never teach a male period. Uh, In fact, was Timothy ever taught by uh, a woman? Yeah. Who were they? His mother and his grandmother. You know, I dare to say that was some of the most important teaching he ever got, right? In his formative years. Uh, you know, you have other situations. Uh, you know, you have uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They took Apollos aside and, and instructed him, uh, you know, further. Uh, but again, it wasn't just her. I mean, they were together. So it was a private context, not a formal context. So you kind of, you, you look at everything. But, but yeah, we want to be sensitive to the order that God has ordained there. Okay, uh, any other thoughts before we go to the next page? Okay, page uh, 189, uh, giftedness. So we've talked about mature, consistent with biblical roles, now giftedness. Are all gifted teachers as seen in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine? The simple word is no, right? Simple answer is no. Uh, The Greek expects uh, the answer no, the negative, for each one of the questions that's asked there in in that verse. But uh, no, all are not gifted teachers. It's kind of like, are all gifted evangelists? No, I don't don't know that Timothy was necessarily a gifted evangelist either, but Paul tells him, do the work of an evangelist. You know, I think we want to do what we can. We want to build into people as we have opportunity, as we can. And we do kind of think about our giftedness, too. I mean, uh, but sometimes I wonder, uh, you know, if you really have a, a zeal, you, if you got some knowledge, you probably could do one-on-one. Uh, maybe not a group of 10. Uh, maybe that'll never be your thing, unless you've got some giftedness there. But, uh, yeah, you could probably, you know, take somebody aside and, and help them. Uh, okay, uh, 27.2 there, preparing to lead a Bible study. As we approach the word, what should our attitude be as brought out by Jesus in John 15.5? What should our attitude be? We can't do anything. Uh, I think that's great. You know, I, I, I went to the funeral today, and, and uh, it was really an exciting time because uh, Barb Kerber led her dad to the Lord. And, I mean, she basically, I asked her to write out how it happened and what, what happened there. It was really powerful. And, uh, but, and then I build on that and share the gospel, you know. But this guy, and he's a friend of mine. I really like the guy. But he's down there at the, at the, at the funeral home, and he said to me, I said, it's just like riding a bike for you, isn't it? Just like riding a bike. And I just looked at him. <laughs> the reason I did that is because I never want to think that way. Like, this is just an automatic for me. You know, uh, I'm good at this, and it's just a given. It's just like riding a bike. It's no problem. Boy, without the Holy Spirit, where am I? Uh, you know, so 
We always need the Lord's help. We can't do anything. Without me, you can do nothing. I, I, I know I, this guy's a neat, I know the guy, he's not a believer, neat guy, you know, you're in that profession, you're going to be friendly to everybody, he is a friend, I've known him for many, many years, I've witnessed to him, you know, and he kind of knows the language, he knows where I'm coming from a little bit at this point, but I'm not convinced he's quite there, but he'll say these things to me, and it was in front of a bunch of other people, I just didn't want to, you know, I just got smiled, you know, what do you do? Anyway. Uh, it wasn't a discipleship context, really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what condition for fruit bearing did Jesus give in John fifteen seven? Abide in Him. Abide in him. What what other abiding emphasis do we have in the verse? His word abides in us, and then there's an emphasis on the at the end of the verse on what? Yes. Ah, whatever we ask. That's prayer, right? So, so you kind of have this abiding emphasis, abiding in Christ. And I think that goes hand in hand with his word abiding in us. And then in combination with, with asking, with, with prayer. That's right. Okay. Um, what did the psalmist pray for in Psalm 119, verse 18, that we should emulate? Yeah. Uh, and I like the way he says this, uh, at least in my New King James, that God would open my eyes and, and, and help me see wondrous things from your word. Uh, that's, that's a neat way to put that. Uh, I remember when I was in Bible college, I had a professor and he said, you, sh- you should never open your Bible without uh, a, a prayer on your lips saying, Lord, help me to, to see what you want me to see. And I've tried to practice that, you know, I'm not saying I don't I ever forget, but pretty religiously, no pun intended, I say, Lord, help me. I need your help. Uh, so that's, that's a good uh, attitude to emulate there. Uh, help me to see wondrous things from, from your word. All right. Any other input? Okay. Let's press on here to the next page here. Excuse me for just a minute. I'm going to close the door that I forgot to do. Or did you want it open for some reason, somebody? Maybe you had that open for a reason. Okay, page uh, 190. After praying over the text, what uh, we should study it thoroughly until we have a good grasp of it. What principle applies from 2 Timothy 2.15? What's that? Okay, we'll take one at a time. Study. Okay, that's the old King James word. Know the word. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, the old King James was study. The new King James says, uh, be diligent. And, and really, that's a move in the right direction because the emphasis here is not so much scholarship. I think that, fi- that figures in. But the emphasis here is on, it's the idea of being zealous. Be diligent. It, that's it. And that's the idea. That's right. Be a diligent workman. That's exactly right. Uh, to work hard at it is the emphasis. And so, uh, and then um, he talks about, uh, did you have a third point? Right. That's right. Exactly. Rightly dividing. Which literally means what? Cut it straight. 
And you know, Paul was a tent maker and we're thinking he probably had this in the back of his mind where you had to cut those seams straight or you're going to mess that tent up. It's going to be, you know, looking kind of saggy if you don't get this thing right. So the idea here is to uh, accurately divide the word, uh, to cut it straight. And uh, that's all important as we will see as we continue on here. Okay. Um, Two key interpretive principles apply to the study of God's word. Number one, a literal normal interpretation. You know, if plain sense makes good sense, then seek no other sense type thing. Uh, A literal normal interpretation. That should be always considered first um, instead of run into an allegorical thought here. I mean, you can end up anywhere if if you take that approach. So this takes the text for what it plainly says, unless there's objective reasons to take it otherwise. And we do realize there's sometimes, the Bible does use figurative language. We do it all the time in our common interaction. Um, Number two, interpret it in the proper context. There is one right interpretation uh, of a text, but many applications. So uh, those are just some basic guidelines. Understand it, uh, take it normally, literally, and also interpret it in proper context. Okay, um, next question here. What warning does Peter give in 2 Peter 3, 16 through 18? What's the, what's the warning here? What's the concern? Yeah, and some of these people twist the scriptures, and he says, as they do... Uh, they do to their own destruction as they do uh, the other scriptures. Um, but it's interesting, as he continues on, he says, uh, well, is there an application for the believer here? Well, that's the next verse. That's true. And that's the, you know, as we continue on there, or that's verse 18, right? Yeah. Uh, before we get to verse 18, what, what is his concern in verse 17? Yeah, lest you also be led away with the error of the wicked, he says. What's the error of the wicked here? What's he just said? Twisting the scripture. Boy, isn't it kind of uh, alarming to think, you know, uh, there is a danger here. Uh, I too could twist the scripture. And, uh, you know, he emphasizes falling from our own steadfastness. When we get off track, we're we're not sticking with the word. We're not not staying uh, on message with the word as we should. There's a danger there. You know, there's a you know, there's an old story here, and you've probably heard this, but uh, there was a, it's a parable about six blind men. Have you heard this this parable? And so uh, there was a, an animal, uh, and they were uh, asked to uh, touch a, a part of the animal, and then uh, make an evaluation as far as what what animal it was. And so uh, one touched the side and said it was a wall, right? Uh, another touched the, the tusk and said it was a spear. One touched uh, the trunk and said it was a snake. One touched its knee and said it was a tree. One touched the ear and said it was a fan. And one touched the tail and said it was a rope. Who was right? Yeah. <laughs> well, in a sense, none of them were right, right? Yeah. And why were none of them right? They weren't looking at the whole big picture. And, and that's always good. We want to always consider the whole context, uh, the whole counsel of God. There's, there's, a, there's a greater context, and then there's a, an immediate context. But one thing we always want to realize is the Bible never contradicts itself. 
Uh, it's always in harmony with the whole here. And of course, we know, right? This was, what was it describing here? An elephant, right? All of these things are true. And the big picture is, this is an elephant. That's right. Okay, um, note the message of the Bible is clear in any legitimate translation that is faithful to the existing manuscripts. Some of these translations include the New American Standard, the ESV, the New King James. Of course, uh, the Old King James would be there too. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's a good one too. These are just uh, representative here. I, was, I, I can't list them all here. So I'm just kind of naming some of the prominent ones, and these are, these are kind of prominent in our circles for sure. And then you have paraphrases, um, you know, which are not really word-for-word uh, uh, -word translations. They are paraphrases and so forth. But, uh, you know, any legitimate translation that really is faithful to the manuscripts, the available manuscripts that we have, is going to be accurate. It's going to be an accurate translation. Uh, you might phrase it this way or that way, but the message is going to be the, the same. Okay, and finally, one more uh, question here at the bottom of the page. The Lord gives spiritual understanding, but what is our human responsibility as seen in Proverbs 2, 4 through 6? Yeah. Huh? To seek it out diligently. And, and what is the illustration? Like, like you're searching for precious metals, right? For, for like you're seeking for silver or gold. Have you ever watched any of these commentaries on these people that, that, that go uh, seeking for gold? Like in Alaska, the, the gold seekers and, and this kind of thing. I mean, these people are crazy. I mean, seriously. I mean, th th there, is, there is no effort spared as far as trying to get to the gold. And boy, once they, once they get it, they get a little taste of it. I mean, it's full-blown crazy. Uh, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, we're kind of be, it's, it's, you want to dig for your own treasures out of the Word. Every once in a while, and I'm real careful with this, real careful with this. But once in a while, it doesn't happen often, but I say, man, I saw something here. None of the other commentators bring up. Now, that's dangerous, too. <laughs> but sometimes, I, I think I stumbled on a little bit of gold here. And nothing, you know, you want to be in keeping with sound doctrine always. But uh, it's kind of neat to find, uh, you know, your own treasures in that sense where you're digging for it. And you have to dig for it is the idea. You have to diligently search for it. Okay, any other thoughts there? Okay, uh, let's uh, go to the next page, page uh, 191. After you have studied the text itself, it is good to confer with various helps, such as trusted commentaries. Uh, God has given teachers to the church for the building up of the body. And in, in you know, kind of the balance of what I just said here, uh, if after consulting the commentaries, you find out that no one else shares your view on a, a subject, it should give you pause. And it definitely does, me. Uh, I am always really careful, especially in my public teaching, if Nobody else sees what I see. Maybe it's not there. <laughs> Maybe I'm not seeing it clear. So uh, uh, what is the principle from Proverbs eleven fourteen that applies here? That's right. Safety and many godly counselors. That, that's almost kind of understood, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, and like I say, God has given teachers to the church. He hasn't given a teacher, 
right? He's given lots of teachers. I, I study teachers all the time. I read 25 commentaries a week for my, my Sunday morning sermon, probably, if not more. And uh, so I'm studying these guys all the time. And uh, praise the Lord, uh, God has given uh, these scholars uh, to the church, to these teachers to the church, and it's a, it's a great blessing. Uh, notice I say here, a one-volume commentary such as uh, Moody Bible Commentary or the Believer's Bible Commentary by William MacDonald are very helpful. I, I like these. They're, they're just one, one volume, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. They they're make comments on everything. Uh, they're both very good. Uh, in fact, Believer's Bible Commentary by William MacDonald is, is one of, it might be my favorite as far as just a one-volume commentary. And the reason I like him so much is because he thinks like me most of the time. <laughs> we think alike, anyway. Uh, study Bibles such as the MacArthur Study Bible are also helpful. Many good commentaries are available online at places such as Precept uh, Austin. GotQuestions.org has answers to a myriad of Bible questions of any kind. And again, GotQuestions.org. I mean, these guys, you know, I'm an IFCA guy uh, in the, Fundamental Churches of America, I belong to that organization. These guys, you know, come from that background here. And uh, so they're very like-minded. Logos Bible Software is an invaluable resource concerning the original languages and study helps. I mean, anybody can be a language expert if you've got Logos. Now, you might have to pay for it. You get the amount of helps, you have to pay for it. But I'm telling you, Logos is unbelievable. I've, I've had Logos for years, and I haven't even began to, to tap into all that's there, potentially. I mean, it, it can tell you <laughs> everything about anything, about uh, the languages. Uh, it's just an incredible resource. I mean, if you go to seminary right now, it will be built into your seminary expense that you're getting Logos. Uh, it's just an automatic. Uh, if you're going to go deep, you have to have Logos. It's that good. Uh, okay, uh, types of Bible study, evangelistic. Why did John write the Gospel of John as stated in John 20? Boy, all of you should know this, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, this is the one book in the Bible that's specific. So this is why I wrote this whole book, so that you might believe. By the way, he didn't mention anything about baptism. He didn't mention anything about anything else. Just that you might believe. And believing, you might have life. That's why he wrote the, the whole Gospel of John. So it's an evangelistic uh, book. It's, it's one reason we point um, seekers or people we're witnessing to. Uh, a lot of times we try to get them into John because that's why it's written, so, so you might believe. And uh, so, uh, okay, any other thoughts there before we go on to page 192? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's good. I like that too. Yeah, you're right. I like it. I do like it. Uh, but after you've had Logos, Marianne. <laughs> but it is great. I, I do like it. And, and it's on my phone too. And like when I'm sitting in Sunday school and I'm double checking things, as a, you know, I'm checking on the teacher, whatever. <laughs> no, it's excellent. Uh, what's the name of it, Marianne? Literal word. L literal word. Yeah, literal word, yeah. And so it will, it will give you just a real brief uh, explanation as far as the... Is it just the New Testament, Marianne, or is it the Old Testament too? It's the, if you click on the little Hebrew icon, it'll bring up all these other things. That's right, yeah. See, I have used it, but I don't use it all the time. Yeah, that's good. It is good. You're right. I've done enough to know that it is good. Okay, 
top of page uh, 192. In an evangelistic Bible study, the teacher will by nature have to carry much of the conversation. Now, this might scare some people, right? I mean, this is my problem, right? Uh, All eyes are on me. What's happening here? (laughs) Uh, And, you know, they don't know anything. And frankly, you people are so important because you already know more than most people in the world will ever know about the Bible. Probably most of you. And so... uh, You're going to have to carry it. But there is value in uh, just reading the text together and then discussing it. Uh, You can take turns reading a paragraph and then discuss its meaning. I got this from Pastor Rod Gertzen. He said there was a guy, and and, uh, this guy was willing to do a Bible study with him. This guy knew nothing. And so I think they started through John or wherever it was. And he said what they would do is they would, one of them would read a paragraph. And then you just talk about it. And then the other one would read the next paragraph. And then they would talk about it. And he led the guy to the Lord doing that, that kind of a study. So, you know, that's why I'm saying sometimes you don't need this big formal, let's just do the Bible, you know, especially if somebody has had no, no background, no knowledge of, say, John whatsoever. Uh, now, it'd be good for you to probably read a little commentary on John before you go there. So when things come up, you say, well, yeah, I got some clue about what, where we're going here as far as John. But... Uh, you could do this. Uh, what combination is blessed in Revelation 1 3? That's right. That's good. Uh, those who read, those who hear, and those who keep the word. That's right. A special blessing. And of course, you're living in a time when, uh, you know, Revelation is just being rolled out, as it were. And so uh, somebody would read. There wasn't a whole lot of manuscripts. So you probably just have one person reading, the rest of them listening. And, and listeners are probably doing what? Probably taking some notes. I think the early church took a lot of notes. That's why we have a lot of pieces of manuscripts here or there. Uh, so, but a special blessing uh, pronounced on those who read and those who hear. Uh, hear the word. Okay. Um, a great way to teach is to ask winsome, winsome questions. That make people think instead of just telling them everything. Ah, that's good. Isn't it good to ask questions? You know, we haven't been doing children's moment lately, but you know, I almost always start a children's moment with a question, right? And the reason I do that is why? I want interaction, right? I want them to think about what I'm saying. When you ask a question, that, that jump starts the brain of the other person, Hopefully. They, they, they are forced to kind of think, okay, well, how am I going to react to this? How am I going to interact with this? And so uh, it makes people think. When Jesus asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? It's kind of almost on the surface of it kind of funny. Uh, Jesus, have you lost your mind? We've just told you they're out here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who is my mother? Are you kidding? Who are my brothers? It's like Jesus is asking the question. Well, what was his objective as seen in Matthew 12, 48 through 50? I mean, that was not just a certain... He was making them think, right? It was really a winsome question. It was a spiritual question. He was talking on a spiritual level, uh, not just physical. But what was uh, his objective? Right. And he was bringing out that his real family is what? 
a spiritual family, right? A spiritual family uh, in which what characterizes those that are part of his family? What, what's the identifying uh, thing about them as he brings it out there? They do God's will. That's right. They do God's will. Now, let's think about this. Jesus is asking this question. Who is my brother? Who, who, who is my mother? Who are, who are my brothers? Um, who is he talking to? Um, yeah, and broader? Jews. He's talking to Jews. Now, why would this in particular point be really significant when you're thinking about Jews? What did Jews see as the really significant thing in life in terms of family relationships? If you are a blood Jew related to Abraham, you're in, right? Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. My family, my mother, my brothers are those who do the will of God. That's who's really related to me. It's not just a physical thing. So he's using this, this question to make them think uh, deeper in terms of a spiritual reality, in terms of who his real spiritual family really is. Okay, uh, any other thoughts? <clears throat> All right, we will press on here. Number two, edification. In 1 Peter 2, 2, how does Peter indicate that newborn Christians can grow? Yeah, you said a mouthful there. That's right. Uh, my translation says desire, right? Desire to long for, to crave it. Uh, you know, you got to want to. You got to want to grow. Uh, you you want to desire uh, the word. And then he talks about, uh, what was the qualifier? Uh, the pure, pure. pure. Th- that refers to unmixed. Uh, that which is uncompromised, uh, the pure milk of the word uh, that you may grow thereby. So he says, desire this, crave this, uh, hunger for it. Uh, you have to have an appetite. It's neat to see people acquire an appetite. I remember uh, a person who came here, <laughs> wonderful soul, but said to me after the first sermon, that's way too long. <laughs> I've got a friend, I, I, I saw him at the conference, and uh, he has just started a church, and uh, he, he is a great teacher, and uh, I love the guy, but, and he loves to teach, and he's, and he's an excellent teacher, but he, he taught for uh, an hour and a half, he said, and when, when he got done, they clapped, and another pastor told him, they clapped because you were done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's really true in this case, but I don't think I can get away with that, but maybe he won't always either. Maybe that was an exception. I don't know, but uh, you know, it's, it's great to have an appetite, but back to this, this lady, she kept coming and after a while, it was no problem for her whatsoever. She had an appetite and she wanted to be here. She wanted to take it in and she couldn't get enough of it. So it was just neat to see her develop that appetite. Okay, uh, bottom of the page, what emphasis does Paul make in Ephesians 4.15 that contributes to the spiritual growth of God's people? Yeah, speak the truth in love. 
You know, it's kind of a sad reality that you can kind of be uh, cold about how you sometimes present. You know, I used to call the old fundamentalists the fighting fundamentalists. Uh, too little fun, too much damn, and not enough mental, you know, fundamental. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes there was a little element of truth there, you know, where we just beat people. Um, I think a lot of times it's slander too. You know, sometimes people are just preaching the word, preaching the word hard and with authority, and uh, you know, it's easy to slander. But uh, we want to have the right spirit, the right to, uh, to uh, speak the truth in love. Uh, love goes a long ways in whatever we're doing. Uh, speak the truth in love. That's how people grow, and uh, we need to bring them along. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on that page? Yes, Tom. I, I agree, and yet, you know, there's kind of a balance there. It's kind of like, and the reason I say it is Hebrews 5. He says, by this time you ought to be teaching, but you have need that one teach you again the first principles. So it's kind of like, I think you can digress. Uh, I, I think normally as, as, there is that first love. And boy, there's an excitement about the things of God, and, and, and that should be there. You're right. And if not, you kind of say, well, boy. Is there even life here? Because normally, you know, the baby uh, wants to suck for the milk, right? That's just normal. And But I do think as you go along, you can get kind of stymied in your growth process if you are not fed well. It can be problems like Hebrews 5 brings out. So, But that's a good point. Okay, any other thoughts here? Okay, let's go on to the next page, page 193 here. In Acts 20.32, what did Paul say is able to build the believer up and give them a spiritual inheritance? I mean, here he's leaving these, these, and actually, he was a disciple of elders. He's talking to the elders at the Ephesian church here in, in the context of Acts 20. And he knew he'd never see them again. This is the last time. And, of course, they're all weepy about it and, all, and so forth. But what in that context does he leave them with? What is, what is able to, to build the believer up and give them a spiritual inheritance? Ah, the word of his grace. Uh, you know, it's interesting. He didn't leave them a bunch of theories. He didn't say, you know, guys, I'm going to help you as far as uh, to, to your lives will really count for something. You'll be able to uh, have a spiritual. Here's my, here's my philosophy. Here's my program. Nope. He said, the word. Uh, the word is able to build you up. The, the word of God's grace and give you an inheritance. Um, now, when we think about uh, the word of his grace, what's contrary to the word of his grace? What, what might be the, the polar opposite of that? How about legalism? Legalism. You know, legalism really tears down. Grace builds up. Uh, if you think about it, Everything that we are about is grace. Now, you can, uh, you can misuse grace in the sense of saying, hey, grace is, is a license. But properly understood, um, it's grace that brings us to Christ. 
We're saved by the gospel of God's grace. And then it's uh, grace for daily living that gives us strength and empowers us. It helps you to grow and faithfully stand. Uh, so pe- people that are growing are growing in grace. Uh, we talked about that, Second Peter 3.18, growing grace. Don't be misled away with the error of the wicked, but, but grow in grace, as he, as he goes on to say there. And I think there's, an, there's a reason that Paul begins so many of his epistles with a grace uh, introduction and ends with a grace benediction. We see this again and again. Uh, Christianity is about grace. And this is how we grow. Really, grace is learning to walk in dependence upon God. God is my strength. God is my all. I, I need him in everything. God's, God's my all. That, that's really uh, the, the word of God's grace. It's all about grace. Okay, uh, any other thoughts? I see. Okay, let's go on. 27.4, part of a bigger picture. No small group Bible study is to be an island unto itself. Uh, Rather, it should see itself as an extension of the ministry of the local church. Uh, God ordained the local church, and within uh, the church, there are God-appointed elders who have oversight shepherding responsibility. Uh, These elders are the main, and I would say the main, formal teachers. Discipleship ministry circles back to the local church and the main feeding, which takes place under the ministry of the elders. So what I'm saying is, there's kind of a counterbalance here. You know, we want you to go out and we want you to, to win one, teach one type thing. But we don't say, well, hey, you know, who needs a church anymore? <laughs> no, God wants you to continue to be fed, continue to be equipped, continue to grow. Uh, we, we need, we need that, that uh, it does circle back uh, to the, the local church and, uh, you know, the organization that we have there, uh, ordained by God as far as elders and, and accountability and all of those things. And then uh, within the church, who has a specialized teaching role in laboring in the word and doctrine as seen in 1 Timothy 5, 17? The elders. He's, he's talking to, to the elders, and he's talking about, uh, you know, some are worthy of double honor, and, and who are those? Those who especially labor in the word and in doctrine, right? So uh, this is uh, among the elders, though, that he's emphasizing this. Uh, the elders are the ones who have this specialized teaching role that's emphasized there. And then uh, the last question here, in speaking of the formal role of authoritative teacher in the church, what does James 3, 1 stipulate? Yeah, let, let not many of you become teachers. Uh, again, I think he's talking about the formal teaching role in the church. Uh, you know, we do have Ephesians 5. By this time, you ought to be teachers. Uh, I think the discipleship emphasis relates to the whole of God's people. But as far as the formal teaching role in the church... Uh, not, not many should be in this position. They're going to they're going to receive a stricter judgment. Of course, only qualified elders are to be really in that position. Okay. Any other thoughts before we go to the last page here? Yes, Roy. That's a great question. Let's think about this biblically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's such a great question. I think so pertinent to today. Uh, I'm kind of a radical in that I don't really see parachurch in the New Testament, really. Uh, 
Everything I see is plan A. There is really no plan B. And everything's under the umbrella of the local church, as I see in the epistles. And uh, there, there is, you know, you've got the, the leadership, you've got accountability, and everything kind of flows out in terms of what the local church is doing as far as, far as its ministry. Now, I'm not saying there are no value in those other ministries. I'm just saying I don't really see them in the New Testament. So it's kind of, yeah, where, and it's so interesting how many, so many parachurch ministries, there's not accountability of a, of a body life, accountability that's kind of built in, and, and it's easy to get people in kind of an ivory tower who's, in, and, and, and inevitably, it seems almost, trouble. Things happen. That's right. Things happen in the local church too, but it's kind of like, you know, he's, he, Yep, we do. Like First Timothy chapter 5, uh, how do you deal with uh, elders who uh, get into sin? It comes out in the context of body life. That, that's what God has really or, ordained here. So, um, and it's interesting, parachurchia, like we had years ago when, when we really had uh, women teachers coming into play, it kind of came through the parachurch organizations. Mission organizations started saying, you know, we're not a local church, so we don't really have to follow what the Bible says. Seminaries would say, we don't really have to go by uh, the standard that uh, women shouldn't be teaching men because we're not really a church. It's kind of like, well, pfft. Okay, it applies to the church, but it doesn't apply if you get the special category of parachurch ministry. You see where this goes. And uh, so it's kind of like, well, really the instruction in the New Testament is Christ is building his church. And the last message that Christ gave was to seven local churches. That's kind of where he left it. Um, do, we, do we really have a better idea? It's kind of like people wanting to kind of have a little different idea. Kind of related, but it's still a little different idea. I always get queasy about that, honestly. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but... <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, A.W. Tozer would say, boy, if we're going to be real honest, uh, if it's not tied to the local church, it really is not uh, ordained of God. I mean, he was so strong on that. Um, if you're going to be really strict about it... Um, like I say, I, I want to be careful. I mean, I think some of these can be kind of a, an extension, a, an arm of the local church in a sense. I remember talking to a parachurch person over here, and, and uh, I said, well, in this scenario you're presenting to me, are, are, we, are we the dog or are we the tail? <laughs> and this person said, well, well, do you want to be the tail or do you want to be the dog? <laughs> and really, that's beside the point. What's the Bible say? You know, what's the Bible say here? Uh, yes. What is an example of a parachurch? I don't think I know what, this, what you're talking about. Okay. An example would be like a uh, what used to be called uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, or now called Crew. And, uh, and that's a good ex- illustration. Crew has gotten pretty loose on so many things. Uh, so, so ecumenical. I'm not, I'm not so sure where Navigators is at now. It's parachurch. Yeah, it's parachurch. But, but crew is an example where it's gotten so ecumenical. You know, so many Catholics involved in, in the organization now. Uh, and, and so, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here related to it. Praise the Lord for a campus ministry, and you can see that. But, um, again, as you go along in history, it starts getting broader and broader. You can say that about churches, I guess, too, in, in all fairness. Uh, churches tend to get liberal as you go along. But uh, again, I like to stick with what we have in the New Testament as far as the, the pattern, the paradigm that we have right there. 
I don't feel real comfortable getting beyond that. And I'm, I'm kind of an anomaly almost. There, there's a few guys out here like this. Uh, but, yeah. Tom? Um, Bible camps are sort of a hybrid. Just they, uh, they're sort of a parent church, but some, some of them are accountable to church associations. Right. Yep. You get into degrees of stuff. That's true. And uh, I want to be a little careful because it's true. I can't do everything. You know, uh, let's say somebody wants to uh, go to a, a seminary level of study. Uh, I know now uh, one of the things we're doing is uh, like there's the expositors uh, group. And what they do is they have satellites in the local church where the guys come to the church and they have it set up where they're, you know, watching on a, a screen. And you got a teacher like in Jupiter, Florida, who's teaching Greek or something. Well, I'm not proficient in Greek, so, so that's a great help to me. And yet, and yet it's authorized through the local church. So you kind of figure out ways you can tie the local church. Camp ministry, you know, um, we help out with counselors there, um, keep tabs of what's going on there. You know, it's, it's kind of in that category, and yet it's kind of connected to the local church. It's not a perfect... <laughs> huh? What's that? Scary. It's scary? Scary. Oh, it's kind of hairy. Oh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not always perfect formulas for everything, that's for sure. Life is kind of that way. It's good. Uh, anyone else? Yes, well, Kate. I was wondering, thinking about that, like, how, if you wanted to start something, how would you do that? What, would it, what should it look like, I guess? Like, I don't know, say I wanted to start a thing where I was going to the women's jail or whatever. How, how would that? You know how I think that should technically happen? I think. I think Kate, you've got, a, you've got an idea. You've got a burden to share with women. Now, there's parachurch organizations out here, and, and, and this is how this works. You go to them, all of a sudden, there's no oversight in terms of your ministry as far as the local church at all. I think you should come to us elders. Say, hey, I've got a burden for this. What do you guys think? Are you all in? Uh, would you support this? Uh, what do you think about this? Let me give some guidance from you guys. That's how I think it should work. And we could say, well, hey, yeah, uh, we know about that ministry. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, accountability here. There's um, interaction, communication. We know what's going on there. Uh, so you would still be kind of functioning under the auspices of this local church ministry. So that's kind of how I would see that. And I think technically that's the way all these ministries should kind of work. There should be a tie back to local church leadership, God-ordained elders and, uh, that he has put in place. Instead of just kind of independently doing our own thing out here. Um, I think well-intended sometimes. And again, I, I want to be careful, um, but the pattern is pretty clear in Scripture to me. Good question, though. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's uh, go to the last uh, question here. Uh, what did Paul instruct Timothy as a leader to do in reference to the local church? It's found in 1 Timothy 4, 6, and 13. To instruct the brethren... Yeah, it kind of makes that threefold emphasis there. Yeah, to, to not neglect the reading, the exhortation, and, and doctrine. And so, yeah. All righty. Um, well, I was really encouraged today. You know, we had the funeral, and uh, it was really powerful. And uh, I even shared at, at, the, at the funeral because, um, you know, Barbie's dad was not doing well. 
And uh, Barbie's been taking care of her mother, which is pretty intensive care all the time. It's one reason you don't see Barbie around a whole lot these days. But um, Barbie's grown up under my ministry through the years. And uh, she had a friend who was dying in the hospital. She went over to her and she was sharing Christ with her. And she told me what she had shared with her about, you know, you need to accept Christ as your, your Savior. And I said, that's a good emphasis. But did you talk to her about uh, she needs to know that Jesus is God? Is he her God? You know, I said, that's an emphasis you want to make. She went back the next day and made that emphasis with her. And, and it was clear. And this lady accepted the Lord as far as we know and, and died. Well, now her dad... She went to the hospital, and, and she wanted to share the Christ with him, and he just turned his head away. She went over there and took his head and made him look right at her and said, This is serious, Dad. Eternity's on the line, and you're about to go out into eternity. You need to think about this. Well, he kind of took that to heart. And the next morning, she was texting uh, my wife, kind of giving an update how he's doing, and he called. And he said, I need to accept Jesus. I want to make sure that I, get, that I go to heaven. Well, instantly, she was ready, and she shared the gospel with him. And then the next couple of days, she had follow-up opportunities. And he kept saying, I want to just make sure. I, I want to make sure. Is there something I have to do? And no, no, it's all grace. And he said, boy, that's so hard to believe. But, you know, he did believe. And anyway, it was just really powerful. We shared that. But I said, one of the most exciting things to me about this is... My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And there's an, this is a prime example of it. I, couldn't, I didn't have that opportunity, but she had that opportunity. And she knew what to do when she was in that position. That is what it's all about to me. Uh, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, where they're winning people. And it was really powerful as we shared it. You know, I, I asked Barbie to, to write it all out. She wrote out about four or five pages, and I, and I read it to the folks. It was really powerful. It was a lot of darkness represented there, by the way. People walking out, people saying things, <laughs> having problems with what I'm saying. I, you know, you get that every once in a while at funerals. I've had lots of people walk out of funerals. They, they don't like it when I get up and start talking about sin. But... Uh, Anyway, that was just really encouraging to me as, as a pastor who is uh, given the responsibility to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I hope that many of you will do small group Bible study. I think many of you are mature enough to do it. And hopefully, uh, you know, you'll be following suit to go through this with, with other people. We have one more lesson, an extra lesson. I, I thought about it uh, afterwards. You know, when we think about stewardship, we think about money. Money's involved, but, you know, really, stewardship is bigger than money. The whole of life is a stewardship, and that's why I included this here at the end. If it was just money, I probably would not have included it uh, because I'm not one to harp on money. Uh, false teachers do that all the time. Uh, but there is a you know, Bible says we're responsible stewards uh, for everything, too. But anyway, one more lesson, uh, lesson number 28. Uh, so we'll uh, look forward to that next uh, week. But uh, how about Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 3, uh, the memory verses. Did anybody memorize this? One through two. One, through two. one verse short? Uh, okay. Did you do it, Rory? Okay. Go for it.
Very good. That's great. That's great. Psalm 1 is just so good. Sets the tone for the entire book of Psalms. So that's great. Uh, Has anybody been memorizing all of the verses that we have as we've gone along? Joy, you have. Man, we should have you come up here and recite for us. (laughs) No, but that's great. I try to go through them every morning. It's one of the things I do. Oh, no, I'm not that good. Uh, you know, the, the, the reason I say that is I've memorized a lot of these verses a long time ago. And so it's a, it's a brush up for me. But I still, I need to work at it all the time. I'll, I'll look at it before I go to bed at night. And the first thing I do when I get up in the morning, it's part of my regiment that I'll go through those verses. So, uh, <clears throat> no, I, <clears throat> I have to work at it. It's, it's not easy for me. All right. Uh, anything else? Okay. Well, thanks for coming out tonight. We've got one more lesson. And uh, boy, you've been a great class. It's been fun. I'm going to miss this, like I say, but we've got one more week. Lord, again, we thank you for uh, your word. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the, the great commission. And Lord, all of us uh, have a responsibility in terms of the big, the big plan uh, to get the gospel out, to win people, and then to continue to disciple them, teaching them all things that you have commanded. And Lord, it takes, uh, it takes uh, an army of soldiers, as it were, uh, all of your people doing what we can as far as our giftedness, our opportunities, our ability, lots of things that are in here. And so, Lord, as, uh, as we have opportunity, help us to be found faithful in building into other people who in turn can teach others. And so, Lord, again, I thank you for the, the class time tonight. Might it bear fruit in our lives for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a good